Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have Sam Burke, the crew chief and guitar tech for Hardy. You're going to hear the story of what got Sam into music originally, his time tour managing, what the weirdest thing on Hardy's writer is, and his role at Relative Music Group, and how he lands hit songs into the hands of today's biggest artists. I had a great time talking to Sam. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Starting Small Music. Today we have Sam Burke with us, tour manager for Hardy. How you doing today, Sam? Hey, good man. Um, yeah, just a quick clarification on that. So I'm I'm Hardy's uh, guitar tech and crew chief now. Um, I was his first tour manager for beginning of well, the end of 2018 all the way up to uh, summer of 2021. Okay. Things got bigger. I just decided to stick with guitars and you know handling the crew stuff so okay uh, that's where i'm at there but um, i could definitely tell you a whole bunch of tour manager stores and all that when we get into it yeah we'll definitely get into that yeah, now, for sure. getting right into your story you grew up in arlington virginia right uh-huh. uh what was your childhood like man it was it was great um so arlington's just right outside dc that's where like the pentagon is and you know all that so growing up by dc you know you're having like a bunch of people that work in the government and stuff like that but you know it was kind of the perfect childhood you know just growing up playing outside and then you know as i grew up i was playing in a bunch of local bands um you know kind of in like the punk like diy world um so just kind of putting on shows ourselves whether it was like in a local venue or someone's garage or backyard and that's kind of how I got into the whole like you know live music concert world kind of through that you know kind of on accident for sure now before you even picked up like some of the rock instruments what were you younger when you started uh learning the oboe too yeah I uh I started again classically well like everyone else and their mother uh I started playing on piano first um and then picked up the oboe around 10 or nine years old. And that was all because my piano teacher was like, oh, you should try oboe. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so did that and then was uh, trained by the principal oboist of the National Symphony Opera in DC at the Kennedy Center um, for you know over 12 years. And that led me to go to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Yeah. Uh, and I knew I wasn't going to go for oboe, but that was kind of like my ticket in. For sure. You know, like, I'm not going to get in Berkeley playing, you know, Blink-22, Tom DeLong riffs. You know, it's just. Right. So, uh, um, yeah, so I was classically trained on the oboe and that, you know, a bunch of orchestras and, you know, competitions with that. It was kind of crazy as a kid, but it just uh, I knew it really wasn't my passion to keep doing that when I got to high school when I started playing all these different like punk bands like that's what I wanted to do yeah just, you know play shows and you know be a part of you know the local scene for sure you know it's funny uh 
I had Ben Johnson on the podcast a few weeks or a few weeks ago, and that's how he got into Belmont. Was uh, he had a cello scholarship? Uh, yeah. You guys kind of both like just to get in <laughs> to fill whatever spot they need. Yeah, no, they gave me a very hefty scholarship too. So that's uh, I mean, if I didn't have that, that's no way. That <laughs> it is crazy how much school is nowadays. So it's like if. If anyone's listening to this, you know, pick any obscure classical instrument and you'll get into pretty much anywhere. But you, you have to be good, too. You know? <laughs> right. Now, uh, growing up in high school, you were playing in a lot of bands. Uh, what's your favorite band name that you had uh, on the punk scene? I'm sure there had to be a couple cool ones. Oh, man. Um, well, the band I was in uh, was called Tip for the Brave. Super <laughs> just edgy and i don't even know how it came up with the name or you know a lot of what bands would do would just do their street name mm -hmm. in my scene so there's uh there's an old band i used to be called 10th Ten, road north and things like that it's just awful names just i mean we we're kids too so like you know this was when i was like 11 years old 11 12 and just not knowing about anything in the world <laughs> were you guys writing original material or mostly doing covers yeah, all original, actually. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> I guess as a kid, too, I don't know why I was so against doing covers. But I was just like, man, you're not cool if you're doing covers and stuff like that. And now, you know, I'm surrounded by people that do covers all the time. So um, it's definitely a flip-flop. Now, you mentioned Bleak 182. Who are some of the other bands that you listen to that, like, you first remember, like, resonating with music and, like, having an attachment to it? Definitely, yeah, like bands like Blink, you know, Green Day, um, and then, you know, my dad was a big, you know, just classic rock guy, so, you know, everything from the Stones to even, like, the 80s stuff, like The Cure, and, like, you know, any kind of classic, like, iconic rock band was kind of in my upbringing, sure. so I got all that good stuff, and now I'm, my mom would be listening to just, like, disco and, like, Earth, Wind, and Fire and just, like, soul stuff, so I definitely... Got all the groove and the cool like beats from that, and then just like the rock world from my dad. So I definitely had the perfect upbringing of all types of music. For sure. Now at Berkeley, you studied music business and management. So were you already thinking in the back of your head that you thought you'd want to work on like the management side of things? Yeah, that's um, originally I was going to Berkeley to be like an audio engineer and like you know do that like the studio stuff, and then. I think like after my first year at Berkeley, I was just like, well, like every kid's kind of doing this and like, you know, it doesn't make sense with like kind of the studio like scene dying at the time. And like, you know, I have Ableton and Logic on my laptop. So it's just like, I've always been recording, you know, stuff on the side by myself anyway. So I just thought, you know, I'd rather learn something that I don't know anything about. So that's why I went down the business route because like, you know, how to, you know, book shows and, or even, you know, just manage an act or how like a show actually works. Like I had no idea how any of that works. So I was like super intrigued to actually learn that and excel with it. For sure. Now, what was your time like performing in the orchestra there? Um, it was pretty, so at Berkeley, like you're only required to like do your principal instrument for two years. Mm -hmm. So after those two years were up, I was just like, see ya. Uh, but I played in a couple bands um, while there, but uh, just, you know, playing some of the local clubs there and, you know, filling in in some punk bands and stuff like that. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, definitely my first year at Berkeley. I was just like, whoa, I got I to gotta step it up because, like, every kid there was just insanely talented mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and, you know, it just made me want to be better at everything I was doing. So I was just playing, whether it was guitar or oboe or whatever I could get my hands on every day just to be better. So Now, after you graduate, what's the decision like to move to Nashville and why Nashville? So before I graduated, um, it was summer of 2016, I did a internship with a super small um, management company. It was just one guy and he was kind of in the Americana, Texas scene. And uh, so that was my first summer in Nashville, 2016. And this was still like, it was just like summer of my junior year at Berkeley. And I did that summer there. And my first like tour management gig was with uh, Kay Phillips. He, mm-hmm. he was like a Americana artist based out of Texas. But after doing that and just, you know, having that summer in Nashville bartending just to get, you know, get by that summer, yeah. um, I knew like I was going to move there um, because, you know, in the music world, it's like you got LA, Nashville, or, you know, New York, I guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just, I didn't really like the whole, vision of LA and like you know it's just too many people and you know it's kind of pretty cutthroat out there and I'm not a pretty chill guy and I just don't like you know shady shady stuff uh yeah. but um yeah after that summer I was determined I was like all right this is where I'm gonna move and I'll figure it out from there because I didn't really have anything lined up after that uh that summer and then uh after that, uh, finished up school, and then um, I was involved with the Berkeley Popular Music Institute, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of like handpicked a couple kids in the music business class world that wanted to get into like concerts and touring and stuff. Um, and I did Lollapalooza and a couple metal festivals that summer, and then met people through that. And then when I came back to Nashville after I graduated, moved. Uh, with the internship with foundations management um and they've managed like young the giant uh dr dog uh wow just a bunch of cool artists um and then uh after that internship i mean i told him right off the gate i was like i don't want to be in the office at all like i want to be on the road Mm -hmm. and they're like okay perfect so they just kind of threw me out with um of random artists and uh so my first gig was with uh, banners um he's like a pop canadian artist and yeah. after that um kind of just domino effect and then i was on tour with dirty heads uh, and new politics for a little while and then uh after that it was hard now was it before uh, was it with those bands or before you started tour managing them that you were selling some merch and just kind of managing VIPs with a couple of people? Too? Yeah, yeah. So I was doing I was doing VIP and merch with Dirty Heads and then with uh, New Politics, I was uh, assistant tour managing and doing merch as well with them, um, yeah. doing some photo stuff, which I had no idea what I was doing with photos. So <laughs> I don't know why that was even in the cards, but I just said sure. Good um, thing you guys got Tanner now. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, Tanner is unbelievable, and you know, I believe he's the absolute best in the business. And uh, you know, people, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like 
you'll see recap videos out there. It's like, oh, this person's trying to do exactly what Tanner's doing. But yeah, Tanner's got like the, the top of the top. Hey, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode, and I'd like to take a pause to thank this week's mid-break sponsor, Snail Lax. Their name says it all. Slow down your fast-paced life to a snail-like pace. As touring musicians, it is crucial that you keep your body loose and relaxed on the road. And that's why Snailax offers an array of health and personal care products that are designed to target specific areas of your body, ranging from your head, neck, shoulder, back, and lumbar down to your feet. I personally use one of their massage guns, and I have to tell you, it really does rejuvenate you. They're currently running a fall sale, so use code AS30 for 30% off your next order. Check them out for yourself at snailax.com. That's snailax.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Now, uh, how did you first meet Hardy? Like, uh, was it through one of the McCoskey brothers and the so yeah, father? Or? Exactly. That's exactly how I met him. So in between, uh, like, you know, because before country touring, country touring, you know, just on the weekends and stuff. And then, you know, obviously before that, I was doing normal touring. So I was gone, you know, two to three months at a time. And so in that break, you know, I was just like, man, I got to find a job, you know, <laughs> because nothing's going on. So uh, I randomly met uh, Dennis uh, through a house I used to, the first house I lived at in Nashville, um, said, oh, Dennis needs like, you know, assistant at his, you know, independent publishing company. I was like, sure, I'm down. I have nothing going on. So I started working with him. And then the first time I met uh, Michael was at uh, the number one party for Up Down. For, oh, no way. Yeah, first number one, which crazy uh me in there and you know honestly like i was pretty new to the country world at the time so i just i literally didn't think anything i was like oh this is cool um and you know i got to talking with him and just you know you know told him what i was up to and all that and then this was like right before he started his artist career and uh two weeks later i get a text from him and he said hey do you want to be my tour manager and i was just like Sure, I, I, I guess, you know, because I didn't have anything lined up till um, that summer of 2019 for a Dirty Head store. And uh, I just kind of rolled the dice. And, uh, you know, I think about, you know, March of 2019, I just had the gut feeling. I said, I'm going to stick with this guy. Yeah. And I just kind of uh, told the Dirty Heads camp, I was just like, hey, you know, I have another gig. Um, and they were super happy with me and you know I still talk to those guys and they're amazing and um, all their management's amazing uh, but yeah I just you know I had a good feeling um, that you know Michael was just going to excel and it, it worked out obviously sure. <laughs> now do you guys party as hard as it seems on social media in real life it just seems like you guys are just sending it 24-7 yeah I mean uh yeah, we're kind of, I guess we have that notorious kind of uh, rep and, uh, you know, I... Uh, notorious? People I, wish they could have as much fun as you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I want to say no comment, but yeah, no, we, we have a fun time. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah, whatever you see on the, the recaps, it's, it's not an act. It's, that's real. <laughs> now, how did uh, selling merch and running VIPs help you, like, when you're thrown into your first, like, I mean, you did a little bit of tour managing, but, I mean, for Hardy, especially blowing up so quick, I'm sure, like, you had to learn a lot, like, quickly. Yeah, I mean, just, like, you know, when you're, it kind of worked out perfectly when, you know, I was just starting on tour and doing those, you know, 
you know, I wouldn't even say smaller role, roles because each role in Torn Roll is so important. For sure. Just, you know, learning all that and, you know, kind of learning what tour manager does on a bigger size tour, just kind of all, you know, I just took it all in and learned it all. And when, you know, I got the, the Hardy gig, it just made it so easy because I was just like, oh, this is what you do. You know, it's just like I kind of just took all that and just applied it to that, to this gig. And, um, you know, in the early days too, you know, no one knew who we were. And so it was just, you know, it's easy. I mean, we weren't doing that crazy merch numbers, but about like halfway through 2019, like I could tell like, oh, this is getting big. We're going to have to like hire some people, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to get swamped here um, because back then, you know, like me and the old drummer, Jacob Durrett at the time, who's also a writer and has a lot of success right now. Um, we were doing everything, setting up the whole stage. I was setting up monitors, running mic lines. We didn't even have a front of house uh, guy that summer. So we were just, you know, having to do everything. It was just long, sweaty days and just being absolutely tired and driving the van, you know, until about 3 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So, yeah, I, uh, I don't miss the van at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely like the bus. Now, what is your favorite part in the set every night? Is there a part that kind of just sticks out to you? Um, man, you know, with this new set, honestly, my favorite part is the beginning. We play uh, Sold Out, which is like the newest release oh, yeah. uh, from Hardy, and the kids just go absolutely nuts. And, you know, especially like for me coming from, you know, the rock and punk world and all that, and, you know, with you know, sold out being, you know, such a rock heavy song. It just, it's, it's perfect for me. I love it. And it's sure. just, you know, the kids absolutely going nuts, throwing beer cans, just jumping, going wild. And like, you know, I'll take my in-ears out right before the drop happens and the crowd's just insanely loud. Like I can't even hear anything else. It's awesome. Is there anything weird on the Hardy Band uh, writer? No, we don't have any weird stuff. Just pretty much any, you know, sub suburban American pantry. That's our that's our rider, you know. Nothing <laughs> nothing crazy, you know, of course, plenty of bush light and uh Guinness for me and myself. That's uh, pretty much all I drink on the road. Um, but other than that, yeah, nothing nothing weird. I'm trying to think of anything right now, but yeah, maybe Uncrustables are uh, our playback stage tech. Damn oh, those it. still slap though. They get yeah. better with age. Yeah, it's funny. We were uh, we were on the golf course the other day. We had a day off in Madison, Wisconsin, and absolutely sent it. Uh, but yeah, I had Uncrustable right before the course. I was like, damn, these things are good. <laughs> Gosh. Now, uh, you're also the product manager at Relative Music Group. Kind of go through what does that mean? Like, what does that entail of your duties at Relative? So basically, you know, a writer will, you know, send in a song, turn a song in, and then I basically just catalog that in our system. We have, you know, just these massive spreadsheets with every song, who wrote it, you know, which publisher is on it, and what the splits are. And then also part of my job, if I hear a song, I kind of just piece together who this would work for, you know, 
you know, what kind of song, like, you know, who's looking for songs right now, who's hot, who's about to release an album, who's recording right now. There's like a million things that go into it. For sure. So it's, it's definitely, uh, it's a lot harder than people think. It's just, uh, you know, it's a lot of creative thinking and, you know, really trying to separate, you know, the writer and the demo from, you know, who actually wrote it to, who it could go to. For sure. And separate that that's why it's like hard sometimes when you know michael will turn in a song i'm just like oh this would work great for michael but you know it's i got pitched to someone else right stuff like that but uh yeah it's uh it's a lot of just you know organizing and creative thinking you know that's the simplest i'll put it at and uh you know it's just there's so many good songs out there and then you know it, i think the hardest part is how is this song going to work for someone? Because it could, you could pitch it to some smaller artist and it could just die right there. Mm-hmm. And if you get it to a bigger artist, it could blow up, get number one. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what all these, you know, publishers are looking for, you know, cuts and number ones. Yeah. Now, to close out, I always like to ask my guests a piece of advice that you've learned along your way. Uh, not only as someone that's looking to be a tour manager, but someone that works on the industry side, maybe uh, advice to artists out there pursuing a career. Man, advice for artists. Um, you know, I think I think the biggest advice and what I've been harping on lately is just just be original and be yourself. Because there, I know that sounds so dumb and cliche, but it's it kind of bothers me that like so many people just do the same thing and like do these writers rounds that nobody cares about, you know what I mean? It's just like, do stand out, do something different. Like, don't be afraid to like break the barrier. I mean, with our stuff, like we're mixing, you know, you know, rock with country and, you know, we're making it work. And, you know, Michael's making music that he wants to make. And, you know, he's, you know, one of the most original guys I know. And, you know, he's just, he is who he is. There's no, there's nothing fake about it. You know, that's, that's why I believe, you know, why he took off, you know, it's, it's being original and like, if you're just going to do the same old stuff, like, yeah, you can have a hit, but you know, if you're, you know, not original, you're going to die off. It's originality will take you to the next level. Even if it's a long, you know, incline, you're still going to go up, you know, that's how a long career last is originality and you know not doing what everyone else is doing or saying the same old you know truck this and truck that kind of line you know it's just you know it gets tired and especially when you know i'm listening to all these songs that come in some songs are just like yeah this is it's just not gonna work <laughs> but, um, but yeah just originality and even even like you know if someone's you know um not even the artist uh, career, but just like crew or industry career, just, you know, be yourself, hardworking and willing to learn everything. You know, I think, you know, even myself, like I'm learning something new every day. There's always something to learn. And if you don't have that mindset, you're just going to get stuck or, you know, no, no one likes someone that is not willing to be better or get better at something, you know, I could be, I could know everything there is, but someone could be doing something differently that actually works better. And I can right. take that 
and apply it to stuff that I already know and become better. It's it's really all about just you know upping your game and just you know being aware of what's new, what's not working, you know, um, just a million different things. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Sam Burke. Sam, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had an awesome time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram at SamXBurk. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Curtis McDonald, guitarist for Joe D. Messina. I want to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee of Starting Small Music. Check them out for yourself at tbdcoffeeco.com. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.